Hey everyone, welcome to uh, episode 104 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Andrew Brown. Episode 104! <laughs> Are you going to do this all the way to 200? I'm going to do it all the way to episode 500. <laughs> okay, that's fine. You can do you. And then after that, I'll start doing it in Spanish. <laughs> I like that. I got a few years to learn. Uh, add a bit of cultural flavor to the show. So it's not just two white men. Cool, so we've got a, a decent show for you, hopefully. We're going to talk about Mark of the Ninja, uh, the surprise release of Warface, uh, not to be confused with War Groove, which saw DLC since we last recorded in uh, its Double Trouble DLC. Uh, Andrew's got an update on his second playthrough of Pokemon Sword and Shield. Uh, and we're going to talk about Warriors Orochi. So uh, let's get on to the latest Switch news. Hey, the only Switch news uh, is that we're all desperate for a, a Nintendo Direct, and uh, Nintendo kind of delivered, but it wasn't exactly as we were hoping. <laughs> it was a Animal Crossing uh, New Horizons focused Direct, uh, went for about 20 minutes. At least a third of that was just the old trailer, as best I could tell. Not the first time that they've just repeated information <laughs> was Animal mm. Crossing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so not a great deal new, but um, I think the things that they, that they did show that was new was, was pretty interesting um, in terms of uh, like the freedom you're going to have to design the town in the way you want, where you sort of can plant down areas where you want houses to go. You can practically, like, remodel the area filling in dirt into rivers and creating rivers and water features and all that sort of stuff all that stuff looked really cool i'll be honest this is one of those franchises that i don't need to change a lot where do you feel where do you stand on that one i spent the most time playing the gamecube version and i got the ds and the 3ds updates i, I never got the wii version and mm -hmm. I, I played them but not to the extent of the gamecube version uh just as as i've evolved over time as a player just animal crossing stopped being the kind of game that i play constantly because i like to finish a game and move on to the next one animal crossing mm -hmm. kind of defies that but i'm actually looking forward to this and i'm hoping that i will spend a lot of time with it i'm kind of planning out how i'm going to actually play it and i i'm just gonna play it like maybe for an hour every night before i go to bed that's how i'm gonna end my day that's the same way i'm thinking that's kind of what i'm planning to do and then uh, if they ever put out a hardware upgrade for the switch I, I probably will just keep my old switch it's just my animal crossing switch where it's just <laughs> running constantly on it yeah i've got that dilemma of uh do i just play it on the switch light so it's handy for bedtime or do i have it on the main switch for the the sake of docking because it does look completely gorgeous in the in the trailers every time i see it it takes me by surprise but just how how much of a visual upgrade it is um, it's uh, in terms of fidelity anyway. Well, looking at it, I was thinking this is probably going to be the first one that I play predominantly, if not exclusively, handheld. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it's great that it can dock. I probably will play it docked uh, quite a bit when it first comes out. But as I transition into it just being a, a game I check in with once a day just to see what's going on and just to take care of things, probably going to be doing that handheld. And just so you don't get yelled at for leaving them for three years like uh, I did on New Leaf. <laughs> I should um, check in with my my Wild World game just to see what happens, because it has been it's since at least 2014, I think, was the last time I logged in, probably before that even. <laughs> uh, I did see someone on uh, social who uh, 
had gone back after five years and uh, one of the animals was like, you've got some nerve showing your face around here. <laughs> uh, they, they, they do not like being neglected. Other than that, it's just a lot of little quality of life things that looks cool. Like you can completely decorate your house in a in a 360 sense now, not just from a top down. And uh, yeah, just a lot of that sort of stuff where it's just a, a clear improvement over the, the 3DS version. Uh, not much really else to say about it. Um, they have kind of uh, flip flopped on that one on the on the save not being able to be transferred. Yeah. Um, that there was news that they're looking into making that possible, so that that's good. Um, and I'm glad that they seem to be listening to people because it's not something Nintendo traditionally do a lot of. Um, it's just this is the way it is, and you have to live with it. So yeah, that that was good to hear in the wake of that trailer, which apparently they've uh, changed and reuploaded. Yeah, they haven't said what the new policy is going to be. But they have changed the language of how the policy is stated, so there mm-hmm. there could be broader opportunities. But like, I'm speaking as someone who literally just sent his switch in to be repaired and had it completely reformatted. I lost a lot of save data. Mm-hmm. Just start a new island. Just get over yourselves and just start a new freaking island. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. <laughs> but. I understand the complaints. I understand where people are coming from, but at the same time, I don't like how all we have to do is make a big enough of a stink on Twitter and a company will capitulate and change how a game works. That's that's leading into darker and darker places, and that is not healthy for running a business and producing products. It's just, it shouldn't work that way. So I, I'm concerned about how that went down. Yeah, there's listening to feedback and then completely changing your ending. Mass Effect <laughs> Three, um, yeah, Sonic yeah. the Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny with the Sonic the Hedgehog one because I'm glad they did it, but I don't agree with how it happened. <laughs> I wasn't going to see the movie either way, so I was like, yeah. at least before it looked like a movie I could laugh at. Now it's just <laughs> like a movie. I'm just like, eh, <laughs> it exists. Uh, cool. So that's uh, Animal Crossing. Uh, let's get on to what we've been playing since the last episode. Okay, Andrew, we're going to start with you because I believe you've just finished Pokemon Sword and Shield for the second time and you were hoping you would uh, warm to it more. How did that go? Well, I finished it for the first time. Oh, you didn't finish it the last time? No, I played it for that one weekend and then I was just like, I would rather be playing Dragon Quest. I would rather be playing Nina Kuni. <laughs> so I, I went and played those instead. Fair enough. But I got through it in one weekend. So <laughs> <laughs> my feelings about it really haven't changed that much. Uh, I was less frustrated with it because I already knew all the things I was going to be disappointed with about it going in, but this is a smaller game. It's a linear game. I was keeping track. There's not really much to explore. Uh, When you're going through the areas, there's some places you can't get to until you get the bike that lets you ride on water. There's Mm -hmm. all of three alternate paths that you can't go down yet one of them is literally five minutes before you get that ability so i'm not sure even counts uh i mean they they took the hms out in sun and moon which i thought was a great change but in sword and shield they haven't really put anything in to replace the hm moves so there's not really any new ways to explore so it's just super linear paths. And the wild area is interesting. I spent a lot more time leveling there on this playthrough, mm-hmm. whereas back in November when it came out, I I went through the wild area and I was just like, eh, and then I just ignored it. <laughs> but I, I actually did 
spend time leveling there when I was trying to get my my EV team up and evolved yeah. and powered up to a place where they could take on the gyms and it's a pretty interesting area except none of the plot actually happens there it's it's literally yeah, it's, it's just this thing that's just there and so you can visit it when you want to and you can visit it sideways through the game but it's like it's the big new thing in the game and it's completely extraneous to the game i just <laughs> i really hope the dlc makes better use of the wild areas and what they do with the dlc is expanded on in the next full title and it's more of a an open game rather than this ultra linear game with a big open sandbox that you can or cannot go into if you feel like it i just Mm -hmm. this game was just such a disappointment my feelings towards it have not changed at all i i liked it a lot and i don't know why but the wild area just really struck a chord with me the first time to the point where it actually ruined the rest of the game which is a pretty easy game anyway um because i just went in like 20 levels overpowered to every gym yeah, it wasn't even a remotely a challenge. So I kind of wish I'd gone e- a bit easier and saved it till later. But yeah, I I, I think the, the wild area is the reason why I haven't gone back to it yet because I can just sit there and spend hours just running around seeing what's new and trying those raids. Okay, well, that's that one. Uh, let's move on to something that I've played and you've, you know, you've, you've played it before. Mm-hmm. I think you talked about it back in episode 50. Well, if you're counting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually researched that. <laughs> wow i didn't go as far as to listen to the episode but um yes yeah, so i rather than beating around the bush I, I i played mark of the ninja remastered and bit of a cheat because i played it on pc uh, i was about to buy it on switch but i noticed it was kind of already in my steam library uh the original version and the upgrade was only like two bucks or something so it seems a bit silly just to to waste the money uh but it is a game that is on switch so it counts so i'm having it so mark of the ninja uh i just want to go back to the early 2000s when uh, I had this uh, awful massive Nokia phone uh, that somehow had a huge library of games that you could buy from its online store <sighs> uh, and many of which were from big publishers and one of those was Ubisoft who I think uh, they have Gameloft under their umbrella and they were just like knocking out like cheap versions of their big franchises le- left right and center like there was new stuff coming out like bi-weekly or something uh, but they did do a series of splinter cell games which were side-scrolling uh stealth platformers um and despite the pitiful tech and the fact that they were kind of bad i kind of loved them and that was how i used to spend a lot of my toilet time at work this uh mark of the ninja kind of reminds me of of those uh, mobile splinter cell games um and it does sort of share some of the same design philosophies with it in terms of how you move through the world and and hide like in the doorways and behind things despite it being a 2 2d plane uh mark of the ninja is obviously sophisticated you know we're in 2020 now so yeah so i enjoyed it as like an evolution on on those those early ideas from from really really rubbish mobile games back in the day uh first thing that struck me about mark of the ninja was uh the movement took a little while to get used to uh because it's very uh, rigid. You're, you're sort of locked to the path, and for very good reason. Um, but it sort of took me a little, a uh, little while to gel with, you know, not being able to run freely and and all that sort of stuff. But 
yeah, as as I got used to that, I, I like this game a lot. So it's as a stealth platformer, it's it's obviously more of a puzzle, trying to feel feel your way how to get through a level and best deal with its threats, um, how to use the skills to your advantage, how to best upgrade your powers to suit how you want to approach everything. Um, I enjoyed how they had uh, optional layers of challenge if you uh, you know you wanted to complete the whole heap of uh, mini missions as, as you're going through i didn't do a bunch of them unless they seemed um like they'd be super fun and i like how the, the i think the difficulty curve on this is a really good one it's it, it's gentle and it escalates but it doesn't get obnoxious uh like some of these games can i did sort of feel like i finished it and wished it had more of a a challenge but again i didn't chase any really any of those mini challenges so i guess that that's probably on me did you engage with that side at all andrew I'm sorry. What? <laughs> the like the 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 mini challenges you get through through a level. Oh yeah. Um, I did my best to do all of them. I even circled back and replayed the game to get them done because I enjoyed them so mm-hmm. much. But the only thing yep. that I have left to do in the game now is um, uh, replay the entire thing without being seen. Like that is the mm-hmm. only thing I haven't done. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish I'd tried that. Um, but I guess you re- you really need to. Up all your skills. Yeah, you, the first run, you, you kind of have to slaughter everybody because that's mm-hmm. how you get enough points to actually get all the upgrades, and then you can do the stealth run. But I'm sure doing the stealth run without the upgrades is a challenge unto itself. Yeah. Um. Now, uh, I did enjoy the ability unlocks. I kind of wish they unlocked a, a bit quicker. Um, so you, you earn the currency as you play and, and do some of the secret stuff. Um, my favourite ability here was that dart that sends enemies into hysterical panics um, where they'll just jump at anything and, and gun down anything that moves in front of them, including their own teammates. Uh, and I liked how you could trigger that sort of panic by, by messing with them, by like dumping a body in front of them from nowhere or, or triggering, triggering a trap in front of someone. Uh, I, f- I felt like I was constantly rewarded with something fun every time that I experimented. The I do have a sour note. Uh, I don't know, I can't remember where you fell on this, but I, I did find that Mark of the Ninja expected me to care about its plot way more than it deserved. Uh, it, mm. it has those like awesome animated cutscenes between levels, you know, and they're, they're animated wonderfully, and, you know, they give you the, the, the context for the next level, or your setting, or your goal, but they were just a bit vapid, and then you get to the end where it hits you with a choice that um, I sort of felt it was nudging me to say like, "Hey, is, isn't this cool? You're gonna you gotta pick." And I I just couldn't find myself to be stressed about something it only hinted at ten seconds before. So I just walked forward, pressed the button, credits rolled, and then I uninstalled it and got on got on with my night. Yeah, that was that was the only thing uh, that got me. I did Google like what consequences that choice had at the end, and I found threads of people just going on about how great and led the plot was and i was just like what um but i had i had just played uh spec ops the line like as the game before so maybe may my opinion on that is skewed well I, I didn't find the ending of spec ops all that impressive so <laughs> there are definitely clues that there is something else going on in mark of the ninja like i, I caught on to some of it as i was playing through it but yeah like Really, most of the plot happens in the last two levels, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate, but <laughs> not unusual. Yeah, it's just yeah, I was major disappointed with that, um, especially with the the way they approached that ending. Um, that said, I still recommend it. It looks gorgeous. It's got really smart level design. 
uh, fun ways to mess with your photos and it's just all around mechanically a joy to play. Uh, and there are plenty of layers of challenge there if you want them. Um, just, I don't think this has hit Switch yet, but did you ever play a game called uh, Stealth Incorporated or Stealth Bastard on PC? I think I know a game you're talking about. No, I haven't. Yeah, I think you would really enjoy them if they ever come to Switch. Uh, hopefully they do, because they are great games as well. Uh, I don't know if Sony uh, gave them some money to get them on like PS4 and Vita, but they're, they're superb and, and sort of in this style. Okay. That's Mark and the Ninja Dan. Uh, let's talk about Wargroove Double Trouble. So you have you have been playing this one. You said you were going to see if you could play it solo. Yeah, it's a new free DLC campaign for Wargroove. It just builds right onto the base game. And it adds some new units. And it adds some new commanders to play as in any of the game modes. And it adds a whole new co-op campaign which you can play solo or you can play with another person and you just have to hold down a confirm button before each side starts and basically you're you're just playing as two as two player characters or two teams versus one AI team and going through this story where you're playing as this bandit king and his two kids who have had some relation to them has been kidnapped and being held for ransom so they have to go on these heists basically of all the other kingdoms in the game and stealing money from them so it's a very different sort of campaign structure from the base wargroove game but it's still that turn-based strategy it's just more you're sneaking into places and stealing gold and and trying to get out and there's Mm -hmm. less of an emphasis on maps built around like full-on skirmishes and open warfare it's just you trying to get a thing done with very limited resources and a very small number of units it's much more challenging uh Hmm. it's adds two new units it adds a thief unit which completely changes how the game's city capturing mechanic works uh in the base game once a city is captured by a team then it just continually provides them with resources and if the enemy team wants to recapture that city they have to fight that city which is like this little stationary unit with 10 hit points and slowly whittle them down and if they can remove that city's entire hit point meter then it turns into a neutral city and then either player can capture it with a Mm -hmm. thief how it works is instead of fighting the city the thief immediately goes into the city immediately makes it neutral and then the thief gets this bag worth 400 gold coins Uh, A city normally generates 100 gold every turn, so 400 is a lot. If the thief can return back to their little building that they're produced from with that, then that money gets added to that player's total. And as I said, more importantly, it immediately makes the city neutral, so the city can then be captured right away. It completely changes up the city capturing mechanic and makes it a lot more fast, basically, if you're willing to use these thief units. And it also adds mm-hmm. rifleman units who have really long range. They can literally shoot across entire levels, but they can only shoot in straight lines, not diagonally. So <laughs> that adds some complication to that. And they have to reload every few turns, which was something brought back from Advance Wars that the regular Wargroove game had mostly gotten rid of, mostly gotten rid of you know ammunition and fuel. But one thing I discovered playing Double Trouble is I am still exhausted from <laughs> the Wargroove base campaign. Because this is the same level of fractiousness, basically. It it is just as hard, if not harder, because it's focused on these specialized missions with specialized units versus just open warfare. Uh, And 
I played a couple missions and I got like two missions done in four or five hours and I'm just like <laughs> I can't do this again. <laughs> I love Wargroove. The online is great. The arcade mode is great. The campaigns are so exhausting. So I I stopped. <laughs> uh, I'm really happy there's these all these new features in Wargroove, but I just I can't face another Wargroove campaign. I don't have it in me. <laughs> so I moved on. It was one of the uh, games that sort of disappointed me the most last year, but it was completely not its fault, and I just have to chalk it down to being not my sort of strategy game. I think so. Well, speaking as an Advanced Wars veteran, I don't like the campaigns in Wargroove, mm-hmm. but the campaign is, is a small part of Wargroove's longevity, so that's not necessarily a problem. But what is a problem is that you do have to play the campaign to unlock all the characters and all the aside modes, so mm-hmm. it, it's not built real great. And hopefully if there's a Wargroove 2, they reassess that. But there's also easier difficulties to play on now as well i could have just dropped down to the easier difficulty and i was i was even going to i was looking at the difficulty screen and on the hard difficulty it says right there this is the way war groove is meant to be played and i was like don't say that don't <laughs> no <laughs> well just say it's hard yeah <laughs> so uh, i just i can't face another war groove campaign so <laughs> i moved Fair on enough. cool so from one uh, kind of war game to another war game Uh, Warface, uh, so originally launched on PC in 2014 and has been on pretty much every console since. Uh, Warface made a surprise launch on the Switch at some point last week. I can't remember the exact day. Uh, But it's a free-to-play, first-person online military shooter from the developers of Crisis, Crytek. Uh, So apparently the dev team have actually split off from Crytek and become Blackwood Games, who uh, basically uh, run the show for for Warface now. So I I did see you you played through the tutorial, got to the uh, main menu and noped out. Have you been back? No, not yet. I'm playing Ring Fit Adventure every day. Uh, I'm going to be playing Animal Crossing every day in a month. I, Mm. I, I thought about, you know, adding a free-to-play online shooter to that as well. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I don't have time for this. And, like, this is, at least from what I saw in the tutorial, it's a a well-running, it handles well, but it was very familiar. It was very reminiscent of Call of Duty, and I was like, eh, I'm not really interested in this. So, like, yeah, as soon as I got to the place where I was able to go online and play with other people, I was like, eh. Nah. Okay, uh, fair enough. So, uh, but fresh from building a, a gaming PC last year, uh, where I'd sort of spent a lot of time reliving my uh, mid two thousands gaming, uh, and which took me logically onto the likes of Rainbow Six Siege and Call of Duty Modern Warfare. I definitely wanted to give this a go. Uh, so, as you alluded to, performance wise, it runs uh, pretty well. Uh, but that should be no surprise. It better, it's it old enough. Out, it, it came out in 2014. Um, it does sort of have that Switch, F, you know, first-person shooter sort of look to it. Sort of somewhere between Doom and Wolfenstein 2, I'd say, in terms of, like, its visual fidelity. Nah, it looked way better uh, than those games. So, uh, I don't know. I think Doom looked better. But as I jumped in online, the first night was pretty bad for lag like it had mm. huge button lag and the worst rubber banding i've ever had in an online game for quite a while like literally talking out of the starting tunnel turning a corner shooting at someone who nearly died and then suddenly finding myself back in the starting tunnel and then dying for no reason <laughs> i love that that wasn't fun <laughs> 
so I, I bailed on that night. Um, so I went back, uh, and the next day there was already a patch. Uh, the online performance had leveled out a little. Uh, button lag is far less of an issue. Um, it feels nice and natural to play, but there's still a few like hiccups and a couple of like graphical hiccups when someone dies. So uh, I just played a game now where if, if someone else killed an opposition member, the opposition member's body would disappear and then reappear on the floor, but it was fine when I, I was killing. But given the fact that they pushed out an update like the day after it launched, I'm I'm somewhat hopeful that's a good sign for future support. Uh, I read somewhere that they're planning to push content out to Switch at, at the same time as other formats, um, but I'm not quite sure they're going to stretch as far as cross-play because it seems they do have a bit of work to get it running uh, as smoothly as possible. Um, as for the game itself, uh, the movement is good. Uh, it's got it runs at a nice quick pace. It's got heaps of the you know the mod cons like sliding into cover, climbing. To pay it a higher compliment, it does feel like Call of Duty slightly ropier there are also some team play mechanics at play so you've got the classes obviously who you meant you know you meant to pick and uh, complement each other uh, each has special skills so like the assault class can replenish ammo medics can heal engineers can give armor and then they also have gadgets such as c4 or whatever uh, so there is some semblance of thought that uh, you know needs to go into picking a team to win anything if you're in well any mode than other than deathmatch, uh, but and there are team actions where you can vault others up to higher higher levels and return the favor if if they want to, uh, but I, ha- I haven't really seen that gel well in any of the modes. Uh, actually, tell I um, I switched to the sniper class today, um, and there was me and another sniper who were just working our way through the level, helping each other up. That was kind of neat. I enjoyed that, uh, and it just sort of happened organically. Uh, the modes themselves. Uh, are all a lot of fun. I, I mentioned both Call of Duty and Rainbow Six at the top of the segment. Uh, Warface does a pretty good job of serving both styles of players. So you've you've got your standard, what are known as Call of Duty style modes, so your team deathmatches, your free for alls. Uh, then it's got the team focus stuff where you you know attack and defend, try and hold areas. Uh, but then they also have modes without spawns, which sort of makes it feel a bit more like Rainbow Six, where people will play a bit slower, work in a team. Um, in fact, you need to to breach walls and things to get to the the objective to plant a bomb. So it does have that does scratch that itch on the on the on the switch, but it's nowhere near on that level. And you sort of you go into a playlist and it'll just keep you you vote for the next game mode and map. Um, and I've really appreciated the variety, just jumping jumping mode mode to mode and doing more than just trying to get a good kill to death ratio, which you know it gets boring. It's satisfying if you're good at it, but it gets boring after a while. Um, and the one thing that really did surprise me is just how well designed the maps are. I mean, probably shouldn't be that surprised. You know, we're talking about very experienced developers. Uh, but the maps are all, like, a decent size without being overly expensive. So they're small enough, uh, and they account for all the classes really well. So um, as an assault class main, because I'm boring, uh, I'm often running around on the ground level, but there are, like, plenty of spots on either end of the maps for snipers to provide cover fire. So there is that need for strategies just sort of vibe for um position and you know pray that someone's helping to cover you there is one issue on the death match um i'm finding if the other team is just overwhelming you they can pin you into your spawn point and just straight up kill you in the spawn point and that like i thought we were over that <laughs> as a development standard by now but um as a free-to-play game there is an, uh, that element of premium currency where you buy with real-world moolah. Uh, you can buy XP boosters or special weapons. Um, 
But I have to say, I'm not spending a penny on it, and so far I feel that without spending money, or even looking at the Battle Pass, that it offers uh, a decent enough progression system uh, through the XP unlocks that makes it still feel rewarding. Um, I'm probably not the best marker for that in Fortnite and Paladins, etc. Like you needed the Battle Pass to, to make it feel worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Like you would do, like you're still achieving things. Whereas I, I tend to feel that the moment-to-moment stuff is enough. Uh, but this definitely feels to me like the meatiest offering of those bunch of free-to-play games. And um, the the unlocking is slower, of course, than if you you know you buy a booster. But I've already unlocked a bunch of cool skins and guns and attachments, um, and such as the low th- health threshold. Other people having maybe better guns hasn't felt like a an unbeatable match or anything. As long as your your aim's good and your fingers on the trigger, you you know you stand as good a chance as anyone. So I've I've I felt constantly competitive, and I've always been like mid to top of the rankings come the end of each round without spending a penny. Admittedly, it's still a bit ropey, but they you know they've got to uh, they've got some work on ahead to to get it up to snuff. But it's a it's a kind of passable riff on Call of Duty. And I feel like it's the only sort of game of this specific subgenre that's missing on Switch. Uh, I know military shooters aren't everyone's thing. We've talked about it before. I mean, hell, I'd sworn off them for years until getting the PC. Uh, but it's neat that Warface sort of fills that void uh, and does so passably and gives people that option if that's something they want. Um, that said, it's it's probably not good enough that I'm going to play it, you know, religiously as I had with Rainbow Six Siege last year where I racked up like. 90 hours in the space of a month or something. Um, but if I fancy a quick blast of something of this ilk on Switch and uh, the console's close to hand, then I'll gladly jump in here and there and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have an okay time. I just worry if one of the big hitters does come to play on Switch. Like, if, if Activision decide to do a Call of Duty <laughs> multiplayer-only game on Switch, as unlikely as it seems... Well, there is rumor that the battle royale mode they're making is going to be free to play, so that could mm-hmm. come to Switch if they can get it working. And like, yeah. if Overwatch sold well enough, maybe they'll consider the Switch viable for their shooters in the future. Anything mm-hmm. could happen. I, I think this is a good move for for these developers. Uh, there's there's that glaring hole, and they've just like, cool. We, if we can make it work, we'll make it work. And and they've they've done well enough to at least. You know, create a a fun game. So yeah, that's me. Uh, passable uh, fills a void, and it it's uh, for those that enjoy that sort of experience. You, you'll you'll have a good time, but not maybe not the best time. Okay, so the last game we're going to talk about this week is uh, Warriors Orochi Four. Uh, Andrew, you've been take, taking this on as our kind of Muso specialist by default <laughs> by default yeah because the more muso games i play the more i realize just how special hyrule warriors is because <laughs> that was the first one i'd played that was the one that really turned me on to the series and then you know i played fire emblem warriors and i was like well that was that was okay and now i played warriors orochi 4 um, which is the fourth game in the series which is already a problem for understanding what what the heck is going on and then this is also a mashup slash spin-off of the Dynasty Warriors and the Samurai Warriors series. So it's drawing characters from both of those games. And both of those games also have many entries. Like Dynasty Warriors just put out its ninth entry last year. So um, <laughs> there's 170 characters in this game. And Jesus. it makes use of every single one of them. And that was... Part of the problem I had with the plot is it 
introduces like new characters literally every battle and then after you unlock them yeah there's a shortcut scene where they all introduce themselves and talk to each other uh i spent a lot of time on my cell phone while the cutscenes were playing until finally i was just like i'm not even paying attention at this point i just started skipping the cutscenes because they were really tedious it was a lot of people complimenting each other about how awesome they were and i was just like can we get to some plot please because the plot <laughs> of this game is um in the first war three warriors orochi games uh these characters drawn from the different franchises dynasty warriors samurai warriors romance of the three kingdoms there's a little bit of journey to the west thrown in there uh they were drawn into this kind of amalgamated world created by this demon king named orochi for his own reasons and they eventually stopped him and killed him and in the fourth one completely out of left field uh the greek gods of the greek pantheon get involved and they basically do it over again uh it's super weird (laughs) but yeah zeus and athena and Ares and perseus show up and it all happens over again and nobody really has any memory of it happening it's basically dissidia but i think this is actually an older series than dissidia so maybe that doesn't count and the plot unfolds, and y- y- you stop them. There's a few twists along the way. There's a pretty cool twist. It introduces a new villain uh, in the very last chapter that I did not see coming. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, it tells a potentially interesting story, but it's not told in an interesting way, unfortunately, because they've they've put so many characters in and insist on using every single one of them. But it's a, it's a Musou game, so you're running through these maps just slaughtering dozens of enemies with the single swing of your attacks. But it adds new mechanics, as most of the Musou games do. Uh, In every map, you're actually controlling three characters, not just one. And if you switch to the next character with one of the shoulder buttons after your character has finished their current combo, then it creates a little green tornado and keeps damaging enemies. And then you can continue the combo with the next character and just keep carrying it on and on and on and on, keeping that damage going. And if you can get your KO counts up or if you can get your hit combo meter up high enough, it actually increases the power of your other abilities, such as your sacred artifacts, which are these uh, magical artifacts that literally let your character cast magic. Uh, Like one of the things you can use is actually Mjolnir, the uh, Thor's hammer, which is kind of cool. But uh, there's a couple dozen of these sacred weapons and you can mix and match them on all the characters so it adds a little more interest like that was one thing i really liked about hyrule warriors is a lot of the characters not all the characters but a lot of them actually have multiple weapons and that's been a continual disappointment with me in the other muso games where you have one character they have one weapon they have one move set that's it so it's kind of boring <laughs> But this does add a little more variety to that. And the magic meter is continually refreshing. And it refreshes pretty quick. Like every 15 seconds, basically, you can do your big magic attack over again. And after a while, I was I was really leaning into that. It basically became a crutch, uh, which might have led to how tedious I started to regard the game as. Um, mm-hmm. I, a lot of people say the Musou games are tedious. Uh, I came out really hard against that when Hyrule Warriors came out back in, in 2018. But now that I've played like Warriors Orochi 4, I 
I think I see where people are coming from. But that, that's not just the fault of the combat systems. It, it's also the map design and the scenarios design. It was just really boring too. Because like, you know, Hyrule Warriors gives you like a variety of things to do. Like you're either securing areas or you're fighting bosses or you're going up against enemies or you're looking for items. Warriors Orochi 4, like every single map in the story mode, and there are 30 to f probably closer to 50 levels in this thing, was just killing officers. It's like, kill this group of officers, new objective, kill this group of officers, new objective, go and kill this group of officers. And they did not put up a fight at all. Basically, they just stood there while <laughs> I just did my combos in them and just annihilated them. It was... It was really tedious, and I was resenting, actively resenting this game the longer it went on. And that might be okay, because uh, that was the story mode. And like even the story mode in Hyrule Warriors, that I insisted that is not what Hyrule Warriors is there for. You don't want to play the story mode, you want to play the adventure mode. And Fire Emblem Warriors, that was one of the reasons I was disappointed with it, was the story mode was okay, but then the the side mode that came after it, was just not that interesting so like the story mode was really all that was there for me and warriors orochi 4 has a challenge mode which adds some more like difficulty options onto it but seems to be the same things just hunt down the officers until you finish the level and it also has infinity mode which is basically like the living towers in mortal Kombat, or you just do level hmm. after level after level and every time you go to a level it adds a new difficulty modifier onto it so that adds some variety to the challenges you're facing but it's still every map is just you running around looking for the big red dots and killing them and <laughs> i i did not really care for this game i don't recommend it <laughs> if you're trying to get into muso games go to hyrule warriors uh but if you're a muso fan if you played warriors orochi one through three this might still do something for you. I did not <laughs> enjoy this game at all. I'm not at all excited to play the first three now. I'm not turning my back on Musou entirely. There's that uh, Persona Strikers Musou game coming out later this year. I'm still interested in that. I want to play the Dynasty Warrior games at some point if I can find a good way to play them. But <laughs> Warriors Orochi 4 did not impress me. Ah, yeah, we did get a review code for it, so thank you for that. But... Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I did not care for it. Okay, Andrew, what are you playing in the coming week? The spiritual sequel to 90s PC classic Theme Hospital, Two Point Hospital, is coming to Switch on Tuesday. I'll be, I'll be checking that out. Cool. Uh, and I'm carrying on with uh, Akami because I, I just started that um, early days. Uh, and then anything else that's short, really, I'm going to try and sneak something else in. Uh, and that's it for me. Onikin and Odalis. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and on other podcast services. Uh, be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. Thanks in advance. Uh, if you would like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee. Details for that are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, this episode was edited by Craig Windle. 
Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Craigity Craig and his music career at Wimbles at Dawn. Uh, he does uh, uh, all the interludes throughout the show and they're all awesome. So if you want to hear more of that stuff, check him out there. Uh, you can also follow me and Andrew individually on Twitter. I'm at Flame Roast Toast and Andrew is at Play Critically. Nintendo Direct!